Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. Could you imagine being convicted of a crime that you never committed? Well, you might be surprised that things like that happen all the time. One article shares about five of the worst wrongful convictions throughout the United States of America. And this one is a, a record of 1968. And it says this, it's tough to lose a child. It's even tougher to lose a child to murder. And it must be unbearable to lose seven children to murder. And then be wrongfully convicted of that crime. In 1968, James Joseph Richardson and his wife had gone to work. The Orange Groves, about 16 miles away from their home in Arcadia, Florida, leaving a neighbor, Bessie Reese, to babysit their children. After eating lunch at home, the three school-aged children returned to class where teachers noticed they looked ill. Upon sending them to the hospital, someone from the school went to check on the other children and found them sick as well at the house. Eventually, all seven of those children died. And the cause of death was poison. Despite no physical evidence trying James to the murder, he was convicted of all seven deaths and sentenced to die. Throughout the years, Bessie Reese confessed to the murders several times. The inmate who claimed Richardson confessed recanted his story, claiming he had been offered a lighter sentence to collaborate. An attorney and author, Mark Lane, took up the case and presented compelling evidence to his client's innocence. Despite all of this, it took nearly 22 years to get his case retired or retried. But Richardson was finally freed at age 53. As I think about this passage here in Hebrews, I think about this story, I think of a greater wrongful conviction throughout history. And I'm not talking about a scene in the United States of America. I'm talking about a scene in the land of Israel. I'm talking about a perfect, sinless, sovereign Savior who left the portals of glory and came and lived among us and walked among this earth and healed those who were sick and raised those who were dead and gave sight to those who could not see and gave ears to those who could not hear. And I think about how they took him and they, they accused him wrongfully and he died. And in all the accusations we read in Matthew's gospel, we read in Luke's gospel, in Mark and John, how he said nothing because he was born to be wrongfully accused. And he went to the cross and there he died a death that he did not deserve and he paid a debt that he did not have to pay. And he did that for you and he did that for me 2,000 years ago. And today we give God glory, honor, and praise for the sacrifice he made on Calvary's cross. 
And today we celebrate every Sunday that he rose victoriously from the grave and defeated death, hell, and the grave so that we could ultimately live with him throughout all eternity in heaven. As we think about all this, I believe that verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, verse 12 gives us evidence of what it is like for somebody to be a convicted Christian. The title of my sermon is not a statement today. It's a question. And it's a sobering question that I want to ask us all. Is God convinced you are saved? Is God convinced you are saved? If we were to take you, if we were to take me, and we were to put ourselves into the heavenly courtroom and on trial, would there be enough evidence stacked up so that God would be convinced to label us as a Christian? Today, I want you to know this, that I am convinced that God wants all people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. <laughs> the Bible tells in Peter that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says that God so loved the world. That means everybody in the world. And he wants a personal relationship with each and every one of you, each and every person outside of these walls, and everybody that's ever existed or ever will exist. But the question I want to ask and answer today is, when is God convinced we are saved? And today I want to share with you four thoughts, from one from verse 9, one from verse 10, one from verse 11, and one from verse 12. Today about how we can know that we know we are saved, and how we can understand that God will be convinced when we have these characteristics, and these will be the evidences and the marks of a true child of God and a believer, somebody who's been born again. But before we dive in here, let's keep in mind that, that this section of the book of Hebrews falls within the third warning passage of five warning passages. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we read about the, the caution of drifting. And the, the Bible, the King James, used the word slip. In other words, he was convinced that these believers were, were trying to slip away from their understanding of Jesus Christ. And he began to issue out a warning and, and, and a great caution that you do not want to fall away in your walk with Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 3 and 4, we see the second warning is that the writer of Hebrews is warning and cautioning these Hebrew believers of developing a hardened heart to the very words of God. And it should be our prayer every time we come together, every time we open up God's word and we say, God, soften our hearts so that we can receive your word. And then we see, beginning in chapter 5, verse 11, and down to chapter 6, verse number 12, our passage today. This is the third warning here. And he's literally giving a warning about how they've had dull ears and they have decided to not listen to God's Word. You see, when you drift away from God, you'll begin to harden your heart to God, and then you'll stop listening to God. And here... We see that in chapter 6, verse 1, in fact, probably one of the most controversial texts of all time in the New Testament, we see in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, that the writer of Hebrews, he just had a great discussion about how Jesus is greater than everything else in the Old Testament, and all the characters. And now in verses 1 through 3, he's literally saying Jesus, he's literally saying, that, hey, listen, we talked about Jesus, but now I need you to understand this, the New Testament is greater than the Old Testament. And then in verses 4 through 6, we read about how the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing this warning. He gives a, a great caution of apostasy and an earnest plea for perseverance in our walk with Jesus Christ. And then in verses 7 and 8, he gives a great example of, of the earth. 
and what it's like for, for a tree planted by a body of waters to give, give forth fruit, and then another tree that does not have the nutrients in it bears thorns. And then in verse number 9, we see a transition. Pastor, that was a great sermon, but... That was a great lesson, youth pastor, but... That was a great dinner you fixed, honey, but... That's a nice ride you bought, but... And we see the writer of Hebrews is, is cautioning these believers about going back to the Old Testament law system. And then he, he gives them a great warning about apostasy and what it's like to take Jesus and try to re-crucify him again. And he says, you can't do that. And then in verse number 9, he's, he says, but, beloved. This word beloved is a term used throughout the New Testament to describe somebody who is a child of God and well-loved by their fellow brother or sister. And it says we are persuaded. This word persuaded, it means fully convinced of. That there's nothing else that you could do or say that would change my mind about this particular matter. He says we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany or go along with salvation. Though we thus speak. Though we thus speak is referring to the great warning in verses 1 down through verse number 8. And then back in chapter 5, the last few verses. So today, as we come to verse number 9, here's the first thought I wrote down. God is convinced you are saved, or God is convinced we are saved when we have received his salvation. God is convinced we are saved when we have received his salvation. The word salvation, say that with me. Salvation. Say it again, please. Salvation. One more time, please. Salvation. This word, it literally means to rescue somebody from something. We understand that, that we're all guilty of breaking God's law. And that we all deserve total separation from God and the devil's hell. We all deserve it. We've lied. We've stolen. We, we have sinned against God. And we deserve His wrath. But the Bible tells us that in the midst of His sovereignty and in the midst of His great love and His, his, his desire for all men to come to Him, he, he left His throne in glory and He drove Himself to the cross even though He did not have to die there. And there He died for us, for you, for me. He paid the penalty for all the sins of the world, the Bible says. And he came so that we could be rescued from the bondage of sin in this world. And my question is simply this. Have you received God's salvation? Have you received the good news of Jesus Christ and made it part of your life? Have you made Jesus Christ your Lord? Have you made Jesus Christ your Savior? And let me ask you this, is God convinced you have come to a saving knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ? The writer of Hebrews, we see this great, strong warning. And then he, he kind of transitions and he says, we are convinced, we are persuaded better things about you. He says, I know that You've heard about Jesus, how he's better than the prophets, and he's better than Moses, he's better than the angels, he's better than Joshua, and the Old Testament is not as great as the New Testament. We understand all of that, and I know that you're, you're, you've been having a time drifting and slipping away, and that you're, you're, you've had a little hardened heart towards God like the Israelites in the wilderness, and then I understand that, that you're, you're having a dull uh, hearing, you're, you're being 
becoming sluggish and slothful and lazy and listening to God's word. But we are convinced better things of you. And that you're not going to drift away and apostatize and walk away from the full revelation of Jesus Christ. And so I'm convinced today as I look out of this auditorium of individuals who know Jesus as their Savior. I am convinced even in the great trials of 2020 that we are not going as a church body apostatize and forsake the very words of Scripture. God is convinced we are saved when we've received His salvation. His salvation is a gift. It cannot be earned. It cannot be earned. The Bible says that it is by grace through faith that we are saved and not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. that any man should boast. The Bible says all we have to do is believe. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that God sent out His Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Is God convinced you're saved? Is God convinced you're born again? Is God convinced you have been re redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ? Would you look at verse number 10 with me as we move forward? Remember, when is God convinced we are saved? Well, first of all, God is convinced we are saved when we've received His salvation. In verse number 9, we see that. But then in verse number 10, here's what I wrote down secondly. God is convinced we are saved when we've demonstrated His compassion. God is convinced we are saved when we have demonstrated His compassion. Verse number 10, the Bible says, for God. Now, before we go on, I want you to understand this, that throughout the New Testament, the Bible describes what God is. And so far we have learned in the New Testament that God is love. That every fabric of the being of God is made up of His love. The Bible says that God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We understand that God is love. Then the Bible says in 1 John that God is faithful. God is the most reliable. God is the most dependable being in the universe. And the Bible also says God is just. That means He is perfectly righteous and perfectly holy. That He is the standard of perfection. He is the standard of holiness and righteousness. And here the Bible says God is not unrighteous. It literally means that he is not unjust. It literally means that he, is not, he, he doesn't have wickedness a part of his being. The Bible also means here that he is not like the heathen. He's not like the lost and the unsaved. The Bible says he is not unrighteous. Check it out now to forget. Here we understand that God is omniscient. That God is all-knowing. And God has never learned anything because God knows everything. And that God, in a sense, has never forgot anything because He knows all things. But there's one thing the Bible says He does forget. You know what that is? In fact, in Hebrews chapter number 8 and verse number 12, the Bible says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. Will I remember no more. 
I am thankful today that in the fact that God is all-knowing and omniscient, that there's one thing He does forget, and that He forgets the sins that I've committed in my life, that He forgets the sins that you have committed in our life, that, that He's forgotten those who've come to know Jesus Christ. as every, he's, he's taken their sins, and He's cast them as far as the east is from the west. He's taken the sins that we have confessed to Him, and He's thrown them all the way down to the bottom of the ocean there to remember them no more. Today we have a great God, because it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we've been accused of. That we can go to the, to the cross and we can receive forgiveness of our sins. And here the Bible says that God also will not forget their labor of love. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Compassion is something that we need today. This word love, it means affection. It means benevolence. It's like the benevolent giving type of love. Sometimes it's also called charity. If we claim to know the God of the Bible, we're going to demonstrate a holy life. If we claim to know the God of the Bible, we're going to demonstrate a life of faithfulness to Him. And if we claim to know the God of the Bible, we are going to demonstrate love, not just here in our local body, but in our community and all across the world. God is convinced we are saved when we demonstrate His compassion. My question for us all today, let me ask us this. Are we demonstrating love to our fellow brother and our fellow sister? Notice what the Bible says. It says, which you have showed toward his name. By the way, when we are showing love to people, when we are demonstrating God's love to people across the aisle or across the road or across the street or in our lives, we are literally pointing them to the greatest name in all the earth. And that is Jesus. Sure, we could talk about all the prestige and prominent names in our world today, but there's one name that is greater than all, and that is the name of Jesus. There's one name that is above all, and that is the name of Jesus. There is one name that every tongue will confess that he is Lord, and that is Jesus. And there is only one name that every knee is going to bow, and that is at the name of Jesus. And here, when we, are, when we are pointing people to, when we are loving on people and sharing Jesus with them, we are literally pointing them to the greatest name in all the world. And then check it out now. It says, in that, ye, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. This, this word minister, it's so intriguing to me. Two times this verse says, minister. And it literally means to be an attendant. It means to wait upon somebody, like a hostess or, or a friend, or in some aspects, like a teacher. And here, we understand that this is the same word that's used in other places of the New Testament, specifically in, in Timothy chapter 3, in the, in the passage about a deacon. And so we know that there's two offices of the local church. You have a pastor and a deacon. And all what a pastor does and what a deacon does is they serve the body in which they're part of. My position is not a position of power. The position of a deacon is not a position of power. It is a position of servanthood. That is, servant. Hood of it's, it's like servanthood evangelism. It is servanthood discipleship. It is literally serving people inside this church. And here the Bible says that they were doing that. It says they ministered to the saints. And we are called to serve each other. And then we're called to share Jesus to the world. 
So if we're not serving each other, if we're not sharing Jesus with the world, then perhaps God is not convinced you're a child of God. If you're not demonstrating His love, then how are we supposed to know? How am I supposed to know? How are you supposed to know somebody else is a believer? You see, God is convinced we are saved when we demonstrate His compassion. God is convinced we are saved when we receive His salvation. But now let's move forward. Remember, the question of today is this. Is God convinced you are saved? And in verse number 9, we talked about salvation. In verse number 10, we talked about compassion. But now let's look at verse number 11. And as we transition, we're going to talk about this word perseverance and this word determine. And so here's what I wrote down as I read verse 11. The third aspect or third characteristic or third mark or trait of a child of God is this. God is convinced you're saved or God is convinced we are saved when we've persevered with determination. God is convinced we are saved when we've persevered with determination. Verse 11 says, and we desire. This word desire, all it simply means is that this is what I am hoping for. This is what I long for, and this is what I wish for. He says, and we desire. Now remember, back in verse number 9, it says, we are persuaded. And here in verse number 11, it says, and we desire. Why would it say we? Well, perhaps the reason why it says we is because whoever is the author, the human penman, the human author of Hebrews, like Paul's letter, he had somebody else writing down the words for him as he dictated to them what to transcribe and write down. And so most likely that's what's going on here in this letter as well. That the writer of Hebrews is telling the person what to write down. And here it says, and we, the group that the writer of Hebrews is associated with, it says, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Remember, yes, we believe that the theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Jesus is superior than anything the Old Testament has to offer. But if I could say a second theme of Hebrews is one word, perseverance. It is persevering in your faith, in the trials that we go through, in the temptations that we go through, persevering and determining that we're just going to keep on moving forward and pressing onward in our faith of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, he's literally saying, persevere when everybody else you know is drifting away from their walk with Christ. In chapter 3 and 4, he's literally saying, persevere when those you know are hardening their hearts to God and His Word. And then in chapter 5, he's saying, persevere when those are not, when, when those are not listening to God's Word. He says in chapter 6, persevere when people apostatize and walk away from the faith. And here I believe he's saying again, persevere and don't be sluggish and slothful in listening to God's word. Yeah, we've seen a lot go on in 2020, right? I saw, I saw a t-shirt and it said, 2020, one star, would not recommend. <laughs> I want that shirt. So I'm going to buy that shirt one day. But as we think about 2020, we literally see that the world has experienced great trials, great tribulations, great temptations. We see the rise of, of suicide. We see the rise of abusing drugs. We see the rise of abusing alcohol. 
And what we also see is a rise of people who name the name of Christ, apostatize, and walk away. So my question for you is, are you going to persevere until the end? Those who are born again will persevere unto the end. Just as, as, as somebody might have determination to pursue a career path, and no matter what happens, no, no matter if they get fired, no matter if they get laid off, or no matter if they never get a raise, or no matter what happens, they're just going to keep on moving forward and pressing on. And I believe that's what Hebrews chapter 6 is all about, is pressing onward in our walk and not going backward. So today, church, I want to urge you not to go backward in your walk with Christ, but to go forward. God is convinced you're saved when you persevere with determination. God is convinced you're saved when you've demonstrated his compassion. And God is convinced you're saved when you've received his salvation. I'm afraid that too many times in the modern church, we are literally moving away from the word of God. We are literally moving away from the ways of Jesus Christ. We are moving away from him. And 2020 is the great temptation to just say, close the Bible and let's not talk about Jesus. Let's just turn the television on and let's binge watch Netflix or some other crazy uh, television software or whatever. Today, we need to understand that we have got to persevere when our own family members walk away, when our own friends walk away, and when churches walk away. You know, it's a rare trait in America to find a church that actually believes the Bible. And it's because they have not really been a true church. Because if you are a church, I mean, there's no other way to say it. You're going to actually believe the Bible. And if, and if you don't believe the Bible, then you cannot be a church. And I'm not talking about cutting out passages in the book of Leviticus or cutting out Romans chapter 1. Okay? I'm not talking about cutting out sections of the Word of God to fit your idea of what the Bible says. I'm talking about believing every single word in this book. And we have to persevere in our walk and believe every word of God is pure. To believe all scriptures given by inspiration. To believe every single word is the words of the living God. Would you look at verse 12 with me? Is God convinced you're saved? Is God convinced you're born again? Now, I am convinced that God wants all people to be saved. I am convinced that God is not willing any should perish, but all come to repentance. I am convinced that God wants every man, woman, boy, or girl who's ever lived or ever will live to know him and to call him Lord and call him Savior. But the evidence of that is somebody who has received, they've accepted that gift that cannot be earned. Then they have demonstrated that love. And then they have determined that they're going to persevere no matter what transpires. Then verse number 12. The fourth evidence or characteristic or mark of a believer is found here in verse 12. It says that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The key word here, well, there's really two key words. Slothful. And followers. But the word I want to emphasize here is followers. And here's the fourth thought I wrote down. 
God is convinced you're saved when you're devoted with imitation. God is convinced you're saved when you're devoted with imitation. This word follower, it literally means to imitate. It means to, to mimic. It means to follow the example of. We have a great example. The Apostle Paul. Outside of Jesus Christ, he is literally the greatest figure in the New Testament, in my opinion. But we know he said over and over again, be followers of me as I follow Christ. He's not saying imitate what I do. He's saying, hey, I'm imitating what Jesus is doing. So as I imitate and follow what Jesus has said and done, I want you to do the same. And so we know that the greatest example outside of Paul is Jesus Christ. And so Paul is just saying, hey, you remember Jesus? I'm pointing you to him, and I'm going to do my best to live according to within his ways and in his word. And here he says, be not slothful. This word slothful, it's very interesting. The only other time this word is mentioned in the New Testament is, guess where? In this warning passage, back in chapter 5 and verse number 11, where the, where the translators translate it, dole of hearing. And then here he says, slothful. So he's literally saying, you're dull of hearing, you're getting lazy and listening to God's word, you're getting, you're getting sluggish, and you're getting slothful and listening to God's word. Remember, if we don't listen up to God's word, we'll never grow up in God's word. And here he says that you be not slothful. He says, how do we endure to the end with this great assurance through Jesus? He says, don't be lazy. What 2020 has taught me is that we've all become lazy. We would rather receive the stipends from the government and, you know, the, the compensations of unemployment than to get out back into the workforce and earn our living. We'd rather depend upon the government instead of what the Bible says to go work and then you can go eat. And here I'm, I'm afraid that, that the church of Jesus Christ has become slothful and sluggish and lazy in listening to God's word. God help us. Instead of turning the TV on, let us turn the Word of God on. Instead of turning the phone or the tablets or the iPhones or the Androids on, let us turn on the very words of God. And says, but followers, he says, do not be lazy, but followers of them who through faith, giving this idea of some of the other apostles that they once knew or even perhaps pointing them back to Jesus. And it says through faith. Remember in Hebrews chapter 11 is the great faith chapter and it says without faith you cannot please God. We have to have faith. Faith is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And this is patience. Patience is also part of the fruit of the Spirit. And we have to have patience. 2020 has made us all be a little bit of patient, have a little bit of patience of what's going on. But here we need to have faith in What? And the promises that are coming, and we need to be patient in those promises that are coming in the future. And what is he talking about? He's talking about back in verse number 9, this term salvation. We've been rescued right now, but we haven't experienced the full part of that rescuing from sin until the day we cross through the doorway of death and go through eternity and be with Jesus. And here... We have to continue to have faith in that promise that God has given us his word. Yes, I know that once we're saved, we have faith. But then we have to look every single day in anticipation and faith that Jesus is coming. The rapture is going to take place. And then it says here with patience. In other words, don't get too carried away a set in dates on his return. He's going to come when he comes. And we need to anticipate that day each day. But then it says that we have faith in his coming and patience in it. 
and the promises. But then it says we have an inheritance. It doesn't matter if you've inherited something in your life or you will inherit something in your life or maybe, maybe you never will. But the greatest inheritance you can ever receive is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And yes, I have it right now. I have the promise of it. I can almost taste it and see it right now. But I will not fully experience it until I cross over to the other side. And so he says, have patience, have faith, that one day you're going to experience that inheritance. Give God the glory. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So in other words, he's saying, imitate me. Follow me in my ways, in my word. How do you know somebody's saved? Well, they're devoted in following Jesus Christ. How do you know somebody's saved? They're going to persevere all the way to the end when Jesus calls them home or they go up in the rapture. How do you know somebody's saved? And they have demonstrated God's love to the world. And then they have received salvation. Could you imagine 22 years of being wrongfully convicted of a crime? And sitting within the four walls of a cell. But you were completely innocent. Today I'm afraid. We have many people in the four walls of this cell. I say, figuratively. Who are not truly born again. Today, I'm afraid that many people will go convinced their entire life thinking they're a Christian. But they're not. It would be a horrible day to go your entire life Making a profession of Jesus Christ, but never actually ever being born again. And then the last day of your life comes and you stand before Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm sorry, I never knew you. I say that to say this, that some people do not have enough evidence to convict them of being a Christian. So my question for you is this. Have you received God's salvation? Are you demonstrating God's compassion? Will you persevere in your walk with Christ with determination? And will you be devoted and live with great imitation of Jesus Christ? I'm convinced that God loves me, that God loves you, that God loves this entire world, and he wants everybody to go to heaven with him. But is God convinced you want to go to heaven with him?
Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.